Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people, and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly, which is the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure, which becomes the butterfly. My guest today is Felicity Warner, founder of the Global Soul Midwives Movement, who lectures both nationally and internationally and runs the Soul Midwives School based in Dorset in the UK. She has won many awards for her work with the dying and created the idea of soul midwifery after sitting with many hundreds of people at the end of their lives. Her pioneering work has brought a new dimension to holistic and spiritual palliative care. She was named end of life care champion by the National Council for Palliative Care and also end of life doula in 2017. She's the author of four acclaimed books, Gentle Dying and A Safe Journey Home, The Soul Midwife's Handbook and Sacred Oils, 20 Precious Oils to Heal Spirit and Soul. And her website is soulmidwives.co.uk. So Felicity, warm welcome on Imaginal Inspirations. Thank you so much, David. It's really good to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all. And we'll, we'll go straight into asking you a question about a shaping moment involving your choice of work. Yes, well, it stands out very clearly for me. Uh, it was the moment that defined my work in a way, although I didn't realise it at the time. It was really my grandmother's death. From the age of six, I lived with her. She brought me up. So she was mother and father to me and a wonderful woman and great uh, role model. But in the last year of her life, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And um, for that last year, I was I was 13, just coming up for 14. And I gradually took care of her as she deteriorated. She she did less and I did more. And it was a very sort of easy transition, actually, and, and shift of care until really the last few weeks. And she went into hospital and I didn't see her for about a month. But the night she died was so pivotal for me. I, I was taken to see her. And when I got there, I was I was shocked, really, beyond words. It was so harrowing. She'd been a very large, very warm, very ebullient person. And when I got there, she was in a, um, a hospital truckle bed with the sides uh, pulled up around her, um, more or less in and out of consciousness. And she was breathing just very irregularly and making a lot of, of noise with that. And... I, I just remember being so struck by the almost the inhumanity of it, the comparison of of our lovely, warm, caring home, which was all a bit tatty around the edges, um, but full of love and warmth and kindness. And yet seeing her in this very sterile, almost hostile hospital setting was was really grim. And there was a a stark strip light above her bed. The walls were painted lime green. I remember lino on the floor, smelling of disinfectant. 
And I remember thinking even then, how on earth have we come to this? This is this is just terrible. I want to I want to kidnap her now and take her back home and do this properly. And I remember sort of thinking to myself, one day, one day I will put this right. I will make sure that people die beautifully and you know I said with all the gusto that a sort of 13 year old comes up with when they're going to change the world one day she did die and I was taken I was driven back to our neighbours where I was living at the time and then the most extraordinary thing happened because I knew that my life was really going to change at that point because my parents had both gone their different ways and had remarried and had new families And I really didn't know what would happen to me. And I remember sitting in the bath, sobbing, thinking, oh, dear, what's going to happen next? And suddenly I had the most extraordinary um, sensation of well-being. It was almost an ecstatic experience. I felt liberated and I also felt that I would be absolutely fine. I felt very looked after it was very surreal and when I heard the next day that she died she had actually died at more or less exactly that time for many years I didn't share that story with anybody because it felt as if I was being so disloyal to the fact that she died you know how could I have this sense of almost elation um, at exactly the same moment that she died it just didn't make any sense especially to to my young mind at that time but now and looking back I really see how in a sense she shared with me that final moment of liberation we were so connected in every way that I as she left her body and died she somehow gifted that to me, the experience of how that was. And I think that really took away a fear of death for me. So that was a very defining moment. Goodness, that's an extraordinary story and something very powerful to have happen at that kind of age as well. And I quite understand how formative that must have been. It certainly was. I mean, I don't think I got it entirely for many years after. Um, I, I sort of tucked it away and didn't really talk about it very much. But the joy has been in later years in teaching and working with many other families, especially those who've been bereaved. This similar story comes up as an almost archetypal story. Um, and now I do like to share it with others because I think it's important that we do actually share these stories, which are quite commonplace, but people don't think to share them because they think it's their own intensely private and personal experience. But I know that I'm not alone in having experienced that from from a dying loved one. No, absolutely. And a lot of research has been done on this. And then what about an influential mentor or teacher? And clearly your grandmother played that role to some extent. And any advice you remember them giving? Yes, um, I really had to think about that because my grandmother died when she did. I I really had very little education after that. I went to live abroad and um, I, I just sort of hopped, skipped and jumped about and didn't really go to school ever again. So teachers and education, probably not. But I've been so lucky in my life to meet quite serendipitously um, influential and interesting 
uh, people along the way, um, um, including poets, writers, philosophers, uh, composers. It's just been an extraordinary life for coming into contact with people who've inspired me. But there is one particular person um, who was in Copenhagen, where I went to live after my grandmother died, um, a woman who was a Myra for a woman who works with myrrh and sacred oils. And she took me under her wing for about three years and taught me about working with oils and about metaphysics, hermeticism, and a lot about Mary Magdalene. And she, she, I think, told me her message was to be true to myself and to believe in myself and in my own pathway. So I owe her a huge debt. I've, I've tried to navigate that pathway. Um, although it hasn't always been easy. That's so interesting. So that's where your interest in oils come from, comes yes. from and, and how you combine that with your work with the dying. Yes, very much so, yes. And then what about uh, a book that has shaped your life and thinking? I mean, some people find it very difficult to reduce it to one book, but is what's the case with you? Oh, books. Books are my absolute joy. And I, I have so many books that I get teased about it, but they they bring so much pleasure. Ah, it's so hard, isn't it, to think of one book. But but there is a book that um, is more than a book to me. Um, and I always have it on my bedside table and if I go on holiday I take it with me if I'm on a train it comes with me it's a book called The Secret Teachings of Mary Magdalene it's by Claire Namard and Margaret Bailey it was published in 2006 I I have an almost paranormal relationship to this book because in some ways it's like a portal for me it's not so much the actual words of the book and the chapters and the layout it's it's almost like a psychic vessel or a temenos that I can step into and step out of I sense it's almost a sort of multi-dimensional almost and I think it's, some of it is channeled work and it seems to have a, a field of its own that um, I can very easily, as I say, step into and learn and access, actually, information. And I also find it has quite a meditative quality. It's quite prayerful at times as well. So it's, it's, a, it's not just the book. It's what it does when I read it, where the magic happens. That's so interesting again, and you know, I'm sure a number of our listeners will be ordering it, and I certainly <laughs> going to have a look at it myself, because we share this mutual interest in, in Mary Magdalene. And so thank you for that. And then what about a key moment of insight in your work um, in relation to the nature of consciousness, which, of course, you're dealing with all the time you know, in, in your accompaniment of the dying? Yes, I thought about this quite a lot. And, um, you know, being a soul midwife is such a privilege. It gives you such opportunities at seeing people when they are, I think, at their, their spiritual, most interesting time almost. You know, the dying process is such a psycho spiritual process as well. And I, 
I'm always struck and fascinated by the fact that dying people seem to expand their frequencies in those final days before death. And they come up with the most extraordinary ideas, visions, understanding of perennial truths and philosophies. And that they also seem to have quite a prophetic um, aspect to them as well. I, I remember speaking to one lady and she said, when do you come in next to the hospital to visit? And I said, well, it'll be next Thursday um, and I'll come and see you. And she said, oh, no, no, don't worry about that, my dear. I'm going to die next Tuesday afternoon when Neighbours is on. <laughs> uh. And I remember thinking, oh, OK, how, how extraordinary. And do you know what? That was exactly what happened. So I didn't see her again and she did die during Neighbours. Um, and, and the funny thing is that that is so characteristic of the sort of things dying people often say. It's as if they they are one step ahead of us in time already and they are already looking back. And I find that very interesting in terms of how we can understand the nature of consciousness. So, yes, and I think Peter Fennick would say this is a kind of transition to non-duality. Uh, yes. Away from the ego consciousness. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would really, I would entirely agree. It's There is so much that we can still be learning from, from our dying teachers. All dying people are our teachers. Yes, and how does this understanding of yours through your work of consciousness influence the way you live your life? Yes, um, I would love to say it gives me complete wisdom and clarity. <laughs> Wouldn't that be easy? It helps. It gives it gives a long view. It gives um, it gives an understanding. It gives some context in some ways. But I find the paradox is the more you think, you know, the less you actually discover, you know, and there is this constant sort of um, journey of, of learning and and having to experience the learning as well. So I think really at the end of the day, it does reinforce that feeling that I feel I am a spiritual being having a human experience and although I'm completely convinced in the continuity of, of consciousness after death I, I am still having to learn about that every day um, and in many ways so it's not just a cut and dried thing. No well that also maintains a sense of openness doesn't it? It does openness and I think curiosity and I think that's probably my middle name I mean, endlessly want to know why 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 <laughs> um, and so it is I think it's just a journey that will go on forever but it's 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 so rich and it it has such intimate moments as well especially working with dying people so it's um it's an amazing experience Yes, I can imagine. And is there any other experience that you'd like to mention at this point? Um, yes, 
There is one which is quite a difficult experience to actually talk about, but it happened to me. I was working very, very hard. It's about 17 years ago now, and I was doing a lot of bedside work with the dying. I was writing a book at the time, um, and I was um, I was doing a lot of sort of field work into the process of, of dying. And um, I, I was very busy one day, and I did all the normal things you do. I been working at the hospice and then I'd been to the bank and had the car MOT'd and all all the sort of normal things that go on in life and I remember going to bed that night feeling completely normal but waking up the next day and my goodness it was an enormous event as if I had been um, somehow rewired and I, I, I I don't even have the vocabulary for it really but I think probably something akin to a a kundalini awakening experience and until then I I I had been a sensitive empath but although that side of me became extremely magnified so um, the end result was that I was able to um, really read and see energy to a much much greater extent and that has really informed my work and really helped me to understand much more um, again about the nature of consciousness so um, although it was a very frightening event at the time it's taken it took a good 10 years to learn how to turn the volume down on all the information that had come in as a result of that sort of upgrade um it it has been an extraordinary extraordinary um gift in one way um although it's been a challenge as well yes a lot of people with mystical and near-death experiences do find themselves sensitized in that way and they find it quite difficult, as you've been explaining, to switch it off. Yes. <laughs> to turn the dial down. It's yeah. about turning that dial down and, and then actually being able to turn it up when you need to. But then again, yes. of course, turning well, it back down again. So it's it's a challenge um, and constant challenge. But oh, my goodness, um, didn't it change my life in every single way? It was extraordinary. It must have given your work another dimension in that sense. Totally, totally. In, in fact, in very simple terms, in, instead of seeing a dying person as a, you know, perhaps an older person who who was becoming very weak and very frail, I was actually able to see them much more in terms of what their actual light body looked like. And of course, the, that's such a stark contrast in seeing a the light body, the sort of soul of somebody in relation to someone who's almost at the end of life. So that helped me to connect on a much deeper way with people um, and to to see their eternal nature in a way. And that death was just literally um, a stepping out of a body that was no longer needed. So it's been it's been very, very interesting. And does that mean you 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 witness people leaving um, their bodies and also other people coming to to collect them? Uh, yes, absolutely. I've seen many people leave their body and there is an actual process, an energetic process, which I have seen many times where um, two 
energies uh, leave the body um, shortly after death, um, one being spirit and one being soul, but they gradually um, unbind and dissolve. But also I've seen the greeting team waiting to receive them <laughs> with great joy um, at the other at the other end. So it's a rather lovely feeling being a soul midwife sometimes because you're almost sort of handing over and saying, well done, you've done it. And here you are, you know, you're 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 with your the team on the other side now. Well, that's such a reassuring message for our listeners. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you shared that with us. And then is there a proverb you live by or do you have a favourite quote? I don't really have a proverb, but I do have a quote which means a lot to me. Um, it's whether invoked or not, the God will be present. And ah. I, I first read that um, at the house of a wonderful writer whose work has inspired me all my life. Her name was Lucy Boston. And uh, she, she wrote um, a number of books for children about spirituality and, and all centred around her old house. And she was also a poet and an artist. And she had it engraved on a window in her house. And I just was so struck by it. I think for me, it acknowledges divinity, that it is constantly, it is everywhere and all around us and God and the Holy Spirit and and the invisible world. It, it's really acknowledging that whether or not we, we believe in them or we're actually talking to them, they are always around us all the time. So I think I think probably that one is is the one I'd 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 mention most. Well, Jung had that very quotation above his door at his house in Bollingen. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. So I remember reading that in Memories, Dreams, Reflections. I've never been to Bollingen, but I've been close. Oh. I've seen his Seestrasse house. Oh. And then finally, um, Felicity, is there any advice you'd give to your younger self? Oh, gosh. Um, yes, I, I, I think now um i would say you are loved and you are safe um and i think that i think for any child and and that goes for the inner child as well that is so important to to know um and that is infinite and eternal as well it's it, hopefully for all all beings all souls everywhere of whatever age they are well, that's such an inspiring note to end on. Uh, Felicity, thank you so much for joining us on Imaginal Inspirations. Well, David, thank you so much for asking me and, and thank you too for all the wonderful work that you're doing. It's, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you.